We are in the book of Daniel. The title today is called Breaking Intimidation. We're in Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to let you remain seated because it's a long reading. Here we go. Breaking Intimidation, Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all these instruments, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears this music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of all this music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. 
He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So they came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and we were willing and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted them in the province of Babylon. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to every heart, to every situation like only you can, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Breaking intimidation, point one, settle the question of eternity. In verse 12, his advisors come to him and say, some, some of the captives are refusing to bow down. And really, the some was only three. All of the other Jewish captives all bowed down. Why? Why did they bow down and worship? Was it because they believed in in that God instead of the real God? No, they weren't ready to die. They didn't want to die. They weren't prepared to die. So they're going to do anything to save their life. So they're, they're willing to compromise. They're willing to do everything they can to stay alive. To understand Daniel chapter 3 and why he made this 90 foot statue six feet wide of pure gold to understand where that statue came from you've got to go to chapter 2 he had a very powerful dream and the answer to the dream was absolutely stunning he 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 was so troubled by this dream that he said I'm not going to trust you have the interpretation unless you tell me what the dream was. You, you have to know what the dream was without me telling you so that I'll know you have the interpretation. And so Daniel and his three friends prayed and God showed him what the dream was. And Daniel went into the king and he said, O king, live forever. No one could tell you this dream except God himself. And there is a living God who has revealed to you your dream. And he told them what the dream is. And the dream was this enormous statue. This massive, verse 31 of chapter 2, says that it was this enormous, splendid, metal statue. And Daniel had the exact dream that he had. And then Daniel has the right interpretation. And he says, king, oh king, you are the head of gold. You've got a great kingdom. You're the head of gold. But after you, king, another kingdom is coming. And that's why the the shoulders are made of 
uh, silver. And, and then after that, another kingdom's coming. That's why the belly is bronze. And then after that, another kingdom. Uh, that's why the legs are iron. King, you've got a very short life. You are here by the decree of God. God is going to change kingdoms. And then he says, in the day of that, the final kingdom where he gets down to the feet and, and, and it's the iron and the clay, during the days of that kingdom, God's going to cut a stone out out of, out of the mountain in heaven without human hands, without human intervention. And that stone is going to hit that statue and God's going to set up a kingdom that will last forever. He will blow away all the kingdoms of man and this kingdom will last forever. And that's, that's, the, that's the interpretation. It's impossible to question if it's the right interpretation because he knew what the dream was. This is the correct interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar's in rebellion. People wonder why Daniel isn't in chapter three. Why is it just the three Hebrew kids? Where's Daniel? Oh my, he doesn't want Daniel anywhere near this little event. He has made the whole thing gold. He's just the head of gold. He's made the whole thing gold. Why? He is denying his own mortality. He is not ready to die. He wants his kingdom to go on. It's just me, 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 me. And he wants Daniel. He sent Daniel probably to some far off province because he's the guy that knows what this statue is and what it was supposed to be knows he's in rebellion. We don't want people around us that know what we're really doing. <laughs> to break intimidation, we need to settle the question of eternity. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So this has been hanging over the human race, death. The devil uses death and the fear of death to uh, create an atmosphere of fear where people are afraid to deal honestly with their life and honestly with their future. And so what God does is God says, I love them. I am going to take their place. I'm going to, I'm, he sent his son to take our place. The wages of sin was death for human beings. Jesus had to become a human being to pay the wages of death for us. He took on flesh and blood. He took on himself our sins. He tasted our death himself. He took our place to break 
the fear of death and to give us the gift of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is why Jesus came, was to give us eternal life. God doesn't want death to be your problem. He wants death to be your promotion. Paul Paul said, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am excited about dying. The, The enemy has nothing on me. I am free to live. I am free to do whatever God is telling me to do. It doesn't matter what terrorists do. It doesn't matter what the economy does. It doesn't matter what anybody does because all I can do, the worst that can happen to me is me be killed and it's a promotion for me. And I'll be with him forever because I have eternal life. You're not ready to live until you settle the question of eternity. This is the gospel. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He took the punishment of sin that you deserved on himself. The end of this service, we will have a chance. If you have not received the gift of eternal life, you will have a chance at the end of this service. Here's point, that's point one. Settle the question of eternity. Point two. Let's find out what point two is. Surrender to God's will. So here's what they said. Our God is able to deliver us and our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to you. This surrender breaks intimidation. Even if the worst thing happens, even if my prayer isn't answered, even if what I thought God was going to do, he doesn't do, it doesn't matter really because I am not bowing down. I am not for sale. I am serving God. I am trusting God until the end, no matter what happens. This breaks fear. It breaks intimidation. There are three people in the Bible that say, if I perish, I perish. And here's the funny thing about all three of them. None of them perished. (laughs) People that say, if I perish, I perish. I'm just going to do what's right. And if I perish, I perish. Don't perish. One One is these three guys. Second, of course, is Esther. She uses these exact words in Esther 4. If I perish, I'm I perish, but I'm going to do what's right. I'm going I'm to do what's courageous. And if I get killed because of it, so be it. The third one is Jacob before he goes to Egypt. He says, if uh, this is what I need to do, I don't think I can make the trip, but if I perish, I perish. God is calling us to be surrendered in our faith. Revelation 12, 11 it says they, they didn't love their lives even to death. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they didn't love their lives even to death. So the three declarations. One is God is powerful. God is able to deliver us. The second declaration, God is good and he will deliver us. The third declaration, 
is God doesn't owe me this. God doesn't have to. It's a very important part of faith. Entitlement is the enemy of faith. The, the idea that God owes me, that God has to, that, that God has to prove himself to me, that will undermine true faith. I was preaching in Uganda. We did uh, two spiritual warfare conferences for the pastors in Uganda. There were over 200 pastors at these two conferences on the islands of Lake Victoria. And um, one, of the, one of the mornings I was sharing uh, a message about pastors and I told a story from my own life about entitlement. And that I, God showed me that I had been waiting for an apology from him that was never going to come. And that, that I needed to lay down this idea that somehow God owed me. And, uh, and of course, encouraged everybody to do the same. And well, I was done and, and going, went outside and, and one of the uh, people on the base, the Ugandan young ladies on the YWAM base who was part of the leadership came to me and said, Pastor Tom, you need to come and, and uh, talk to this woman. And so she takes me back into the church and in the very back there are, there are uh, a lot of the kids and moms and there is this lady um, laying on a mat, and her name is Annette. And she's clearly in great pain, and, and uh, Prossy tells me that she, she, is, she can't get up because of the pain that has gripped her, and, but she wanted me to know that God set her free during the message in her heart, that she had been holding on to. She had had so many setbacks in her life and she had been angry at God and she had been feeling sorry for herself and she said that when, when I spoke that something broke through and just, she could just let go of it and she wanted me to know that she was now free on the inside. And I just, I just felt right then that the Lord wanted to heal her outside, on the outside. Just like that woman, the the guy that was on the mat and Jesus said, you're forgiven. And that was, God always starts on the inside and and then he he healed him. I just felt like God wanted to heal her right now. And I I asked her through, the prophecy was interpreting for me. um, I, I want to pray for her back right now. I believe God wants to touch her back right now. And uh, I laid my hand on her back and started praying. And, and then I t- told her to move it around. And, and she started going like this. And then I told her to stand up. And as she starts to stand up, tears are flowing down her face. And I am like, this is really good or really bad. Either the pain, it, the pain is so incredible and I am so mean in making her move that she, she, that she can't help or she's getting healed. It's one or the other. So I said to process, ask her what's happening right now, to ask her why she's crying. And the answer came back. God is healing her right now. My next session was called Understanding the Anointing, and so she came up 
before I, I asked her to come up if she would give a testimony. And she was just beaming with the radiance of God as she gave the testimony of God healing her heart and then healing her body, surrendering to God's will. So in the Middle East, when Tom Doyle was here, he told us the diagnostic questions that they have for Muslims that want to become believers. They, they share the good news. They share the gospel. Jesus loves you. Jesus came. He died for you. Um, the, it, Islam has got you being, you being weighed out. You've got your good works here and your bad here, and they weigh, and whichever one is higher is where you go, and um, people are really excited to hear that Jesus died for them and that they don't have to be on the, those scales, that, that Jesus, Jesus was good enough and that he died for us. And, and so they share the gospel with Muslims, but they won't pray with them to get saved until they've answered two diagnostic questions. Diagno- to diagnose what, what they really mean when they say, yes, I would like to follow Jesus. Here's the first question. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? And the second question, are you willing to die for Jesus? Because if the answer to either one of those is no, even though you understand the gospel, even though you appreciate what God did, you are not ready to get saved. Because these two things, not only will they, they likely happen to you, but you will, you, will not, you will not be around long for Christ if you're not willing to do those things. Jesus said, count the cost before you start. And folks, I'll tell you what, if you've got a little formula in your mind that says if God loves me, then he has to keep me comfortable and that this is how he proves his love for me, that nothing bad ever happens to me and that I'm just comfortable in this life, um, you're going to be very, very disappointed and you're going to lose faith very quickly. The Bible says some believe for a while for joy and then a time of persecution comes because of the word and they quickly fall away. They, they signed up for something that said God now has to keep me comfortable and protect me from all of life's difficulties and so when that didn't happen, they're immediately, this isn't what I signed up for. Surrendering to God's will. It breaks intimidation off of our life and off of our faith. All right, and then point three, stand firm in your faith. Faith is an interesting thing. I think the first prayer that the favored children of God pray is God, keep me from the fire. It's certainly the first prayer I pray. I am not looking for trouble. I'm not looking for trials. I, I, God, deliver me. God, you are able. You are powerful. You can deliver me from trouble. And God always can. God doesn't have to have them thrown into the fire. God could strike Nebuchadnezzar dead right there. It could all be over. God could change Nebuchadnezzar's heart so they're not thrown into the fire. I always pray, God, deliver me from the fire. You're so good. You're so able. I don't have to go into the fire. And so I always pray that way. And sometimes God delivers us from the fire and it's a great testimony. So I'm not a big outdoor 
person. I'm not a hunter and a fisher. And our idea of camping growing up, you, you, you would just, if you're a camper, you would wince at what we called camping. I mean, <laughs> modern conveniences were always close by. And so my fears going to Uganda were a little different than people might think they were. I know we're going to the islands. I know there's not plumbing on these islands. I know it, it, it's going to be very, very rugged. I know there's going to be lots of bugs and creatures and animals. And there's very little electricity because it's solar. They turn the lights off at 10 o'clock. And don't, the, the electricity doesn't come back at 6. So when you, so when you go to the bathroom, um, here, here's the thing with the bathrooms. <laughs> there's one bathroom for the entire compound. The cities have one, they're called pit latrines. There's no plumbing. And so if you have to go in the middle of the night, it's, it's, they say you need to take a flashlight because that scares the rats and the snakes away. <laughs> you know, and they keep telling me to drink water to stay hydrated. I'm like, I'm not drinking water. You tell me whatever you want, but I am not coming out of that mosquito net until there is daylight, folks. So, but, but everybody, uses, everybody uses the same bathroom. And they, they, in the YWAM compound on the first island, Lingira, there's, the, there's a men's bathroom and there's a, a girl's bathroom. And um, the, the men's bathroom is just, it's just a hole and there's, Two bricks that you can stand on to do to do your business, and um, and and there's always creatures. Okay, so there's geckos everywhere. You come in, there's geckos and there's stuff flying around you, and and so they scatter when you're there, but you know they're watching. <laughs> and so because everybody uses the same facility, there's, they, they, they have come up with terms um, to describe your visit to the bathroom. One is called the short call, and one is called the long call. I'm going to let you figure out what those two might mean. But they made an option, probably for people visiting, or I, I don't know why they did this, but, but men that need to do the long call on Lingira could use the women's bathroom and there was a, there was a sit-down toilet instead of squatting. And uh, I, that was a no-brainer for me. I, if I've got to do the long call, I'm sitting. And so, but... But I have this, this secret fear because we're going to another island, Namidi, which is way out by the equator. It's three and a half hours by boat, way out in the middle of Lake Victoria, and it's, it's very, very primitive. And I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to learn to how, how to do whatever the, the squat thing is. And so we get out to, to Namidi. And honestly, we're going to be there for three days, and I'm just contemplating holding it for three days. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I, I just don't think I can do it. I, I just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hold it for three days. And we get out there and Pastor Jimmy is, lead, the conference is meeting and Pastor Jimmy is so excited. He's the, he's the guy that's hosting and, and here's why he's excited. For the first time in the history of Namidi, 
they are that day opening their first sit-down toilet. And I'm stunned. I am stunned at the goodness of God. I am just, I am absolutely rejoicing. And, uh, and you say, Pastor Tom, are you trying to say that you think that God provided that toilet, that sit-down just for you? No, that's not what I'm saying. Why did he provide that sit-down? Probably for, because he loves the people of Lingira. He wanted the long call to be a little more comfortable. Probably because he loves you. And if you ever go to that island, there will be a place where you can sit down. So I'm not saying that that toilet was there and that God put it there because of me. Here's what I am implying. That toilet could have had its opening day any day. For thousands of years, there's been a village on the Midi, and they had not had a sit-down toilet. And it, I, I would have been very grateful if that thing had been installed last year or last month or even last week. But the fact that I was there for opening day... <laughs> God could have sustained me if I had, we had to do it the other way. He could have helped me. But God delivered me from the fire. Just because he's good. That was just a kiss to my heart. If this is your first time at church, I apologize. But sometimes he doesn't deliver us from the fire. He delivers us in the fire. They are thrown in the fire. And the Bible says that a fourth, a fourth man appeared. Nebuchadnezzar says it was an angel, but the word for angel is just messenger. We don't know that it was an angel. I personally think that the fourth man in that fire was, was Jesus, pre-incarnate. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I want you to contemplate the fire that they are thrown into. It's very, very traumatic to be thrown into that fire. They are thrown in completely bound, arms and feet, they're bound up. And here's what happens in the fire. It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't scorch them. It doesn't even leave the smell of fire on them. But it burns away their chains. They start walking around free in the fire. I set them in their bound, and now they are free. Jesus is so amazing that he can use the fire that we fear, that we do get thrown into, to free us. Amazing.
So here's what happened in 2012, in the spring of 2012. We, uh, I received a a letter in the mail from a lawyer and it was, it was the most intimidating letter I have ever read anywhere, anytime. And it said this. We had made some very difficult decisions at the school and had to not renew some contracts. And so somebody had got this lawyer and he wrote this letter. And this letter basically said, we're giving you 10 days to reverse the decisions that you have made. And if you don't, we're taking your church down. We, we are going to file a lawsuit 10 days from now. And it, we, our, our goal is to just wipe you out. But don't worry about it because we're giving you 10 days to change your mind. Do you see how intimidation works? Do you see what Nebuchadnezzar's doing here? He likes these three. They are not bowing down. They are not bowing down to his decree. They're not, they're not willing to compromise. And he, he, he gets together with them and he, he has a chat with them. I like you guys. I don't want anything bad to happen to you guys. And I like you so much, I'm going to give you another chance. We're going we're gonna to play that music again. Just, just a few moments. But let, me, let me just tell you something. You don't bow down, you're going to die in that fire. This is how the enemy works. Very intimidating. This is what's going to happen to you. This is the, he uses the future, he uses fear, he uses intimidation. I read the letter and I'm just like, okay, whatever he was trying to do is working. This is very intimidating. I'm just like, maybe we do need to reverse the decision. Maybe we, the next morning, the one-year Bible reading was David and Goliath. And I'm just like, this is is a giant. This is a a roaring lion. This is a voice of intimidation. And and it's going to come to nothing. I'm just standing against this thing. And we, we were leaving on vacation. And we went out east and all... Every single day, I just, I spoke to Goliath, I commanded Goliath, I rebuked Goliath, I told God I trusted him, there's not going to be a lawsuit, we got enough on our mind, we're trying to get things going forward, and we're, th- this is going to be dropped, the, the, for whatever reason, it's going to be dropped. I prayed every possible way for that lawsuit to be dropped, and believed, and confessed. Ten days I got back, the lawsuit was filed against our church. Something really bad happened to me. I was just gripped with fear. We're we're going into summer. Summer's always the hardest time anyway because there's no income from ALCS, but there's still expenses. We, We pay the teachers in 12 months, and so all the expenses are still there. We don't have income. Now we've got this lawsuit hanging over us that, and I'm just afraid. 
and I'm in my quiet time and I'm praying and I get a, I get a, a one-line sentence and it's this. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. That's the sentence. I knew it was from the Bible somewhere. So I, I'm looking everywhere. I thought it was in Isaiah. I find it. It's in Isaiah 7. It's about King Ahaz. He's the king of Judah. And two armies have come at him at once. One is the army of Aram. The other is the army of Israel. They're both coming. They're both on the border. Uh, he, he's done the mathematics. He cannot win this battle. And he is, it says him and all of the people were shaking like leaves on a tree being blown by the wind. If you, if you can picture anything more vulnerable than this, they're shaking like leaves on a tree. They are, their hearts are just shaking with fear. And Isaiah comes and he gives this word. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Here's why this is such a hard word. My faith is not in a good place. I've just had a huge disappointment. I have prayed a certain way. I have believed a certain way and I am disappointed with God right now. Thank you. I am nursing my self-pity that things did not go the way they were. And now this word comes, the very one I'm disappointed in, this is like my, this is my command. I need to rise up. This isn't time to give in to disappointment and self-pity. I need to believe God right now. I need to stand firm in my faith. And the stakes are very high. If you don't, you, you, you won't make it. First Peter 5, verse 8. Your enemy, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Folks, it is very important for you that you recognize that you have an enemy. It is very important that you recognize there is an enemy and it's not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual enemy that does speak. He goes about roaring. He is an intimidator. And, and the stakes are real. You can be devoured by that enemy. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you listen to his roars and you act it and you order your life around his roars, you, you are going to have your life taken from you. Your life will get smaller, 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 smaller. He is roaring. Here's what Peter says. Verse nine. Resist him standing Firm in your faith. So I want to look at this. What does it mean to stand firm in your faith? It says that you, to take up the shield of faith and by so doing, quench the darts of the enemy. I am so sorry that you live in a world where the enemy is allowed to shoot darts at you. But that is our reality. But, but we also have equipment called the shield of faith. And we need to stand 
firm in our faith. So I'm there that day, and it's just like, I'm just like, Lord, if we get sued and we lose, which it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong, we all know how lawsuits work, and if we lose, we lose everything. We, all the buildings were tied together. The church, the daycare, and the school were all tied together. If one goes down, we're barely paying the bills at the time. If one goes down, all three of them go down. I mean, there's a, there's a lot at stake in my mind. This is not a small thing. But I'm like, if I'm going down, I'm going down believing. I'm, I'm, I'm going all in. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to stand firm. If we perish, we perish. It, what, what would happen? If we lost all the buildings, we could meet at a school. Mad City did it for 16 years. We can certainly meet at a school. I'm believing God. I'm going out believing God. People might think it's foolish. They might think it's stupid. I'm going out believing God. So what does it mean to believe God? What does it mean to stand firm in your faith? Let me help you with that. Three things it means to stand firm in your faith. Because you, you might be in the fire right now. You prayed there wouldn't be a surgery. You prayed God would heal you, that you wouldn't have to go through some long ordeal and go through surgery and go through chemo and go through, you didn't want any of that and God could have healed you right away, but he didn't and you're in the fire. How do you stand firm in your faith when you are in the fire? It means standing firm, three things from, from our text. Here's the first thing they said. Our God is able to deliver us. Strong faith, firm faith, one, is this. You have to believe that God is able. God is able to do anything. God has all power. God can change anything. God can reveal anything. God can give you any job. God can remove people that are in your way. God, there are no hindrances on God. The the Lord is in his heavens and he does as he pleases. He's the only one in all of the universe that has no restraints on him. God is able. Romans chapter 4 verses 20 and 21 It says that concerning the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief. That means, folks, that he could have wavered in unbelief, but he chose not to waver in unbelief. But it says he grew strong in faith. His faith grew stronger, even though it hadn't happened yet. His faith grew stronger as he was giving glory to God. He's just worshiping God. And then it says this, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to fulfill. God is able. God has power. God is whatever seems like Goliath to you. You need to understand, Goliath is a little ant to God. 
God is not timid, intimidated by anything. He's never nervous. There's a sea before his throne, and it says it is as still as glass. He's not, there, there's no sweat on God's palms. God is able. The second key to strong faith, to standing firm in your faith, is to believe not only that God is able, but that God is good. And these three Hebrew children say, our God is able to deliver us, and he will. He is a good God. You're asking us to bow down. You're asking us to do something that would be wrong in his sight. And God is good. He's able, but he's not just able and, 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 and unconcerned. He knows what's going on here. And he is willing. He is a willing God. He will intervene for us. We are confident that he will help us and he will deliver us from your hand because that's the kind of God he is. Guys, this is, this is so critical for us to stand firm in faith. Psalm 84, 11, one of the first verses I memorized. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. And he withholds no good thing from those that walk uprightly. God is a giver not a restrictor. God is not looking at your life saying, how can I restrict your life? No, no. He wants every good thing to be given to you in his timing, in his way. And then when we choose to follow him, he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. God is good. He loves his people. He wants good things for his people. That is critical for you to stand firm in your faith. But to, have, to be strong in faith, to stand firm in your faith, we, we have to do number three as well. I must believe, not just that God is able, not just that God is good, but I must believe that God is sovereign. I must believe that God is sovereign. What does that mean? That simply means this, that I can't understand God. I can't understand his ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high. And he does things that we, they don't fit in our mind. And so these three evil children are like, God, he will deliver, he's able and he will. But if for some unforeseen reason in his divine purpose, he doesn't, we're all in still. Romans 8, 28, he works all things together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. He takes everything. He's able to take not just the good things, he's able to take the stuff the devil did. He's able to take the stuff men did to you that was wrong and sinful. He's able to take your own failure, your own sin. He can work all things together for our good because we love him and we are called according to his purpose. When bad things happen, there's a challenge to you. Are you going to love God or are you out? Were you only in this to use God or do you actually love God? Love is actually proven when things go, go the way you didn't want them to go. Are you out now? Were you just, was this just Santa Claus? 
Because God is able to work all things together for our good, but we have to believe that he is sovereign. Standing firm in your faith. You have to have all three of them. So this morning's reading in the one-year Bible, it started out the New Testament reading, Hebrews eleven thirteen. I already, I'm already God. God is able. Abraham's believing God. He's strong in faith. He's not wavering because God is able to do it. Here's here's this morning's reading, Hebrews eleven thirteen. Abraham, when he was tested by God, sacrificed Isaac even though all of the promises were supposed to come through Isaac. Everything that he was believing for needed Isaac. And then it gives why he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Because he considered that God's able to raise the dead. There's nothing that can stop his purpose. There's nothing, when he asks something of me, when he asks me to lay something down, when he asks me to go through a difficulty, it doesn't matter because he is the God of resurrection. Nothing can stop his purpose. So here's the end of the story. Lawsuit gets filed. I have my little war up front. I decide I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to believe God. I, 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 I surrender the whole thing. If we lose the buildings, we lose the buildings. I can't, I can't change it. I can't control it. I'm just going to go on, and I'm going to trust God. Four months later, we get an email from our lawyer that tells us that the lawsuit's been dropped. But here's the miracle. Save the clapping, because here's the miracle. (laughs) It wasn't that big of a deal to me when the lawsuit was dropped, because I was already free. I was already free from fear. The, The very fire the enemy was trying to use to intimidate me and to bind me, God used that fire to set me free from fear. It exposed control and fear issues that I had that I didn't even know I had. And they all got up front and God just said, this is who you are. Are you gonna trust me or not? Are you going to another level with me or not? I'm like, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. Come on. So I promise this, could we, just for a moment, could we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Um, Because I promise this. If you are here and you have not settled your eternity yet, you do not know. If you you don't know right now that your sins are forgiven, you don't know if you died, you would go to heaven. Today, I have got good news for you. God loves you. God sent his son to die for you, to taste death for you, to pay the punishment that you owed because of your sins which was death, and death is more than physical death. It's eternal death. It's, It's separation from God. Jesus paid your wages and my wages. He rose from the dead in the history of this planet. He rose from the dead. And today he is alive, and the Bible says that he knocks at our door. And if anyone opens that door, he will come in. It is his very purpose to save you and to give you the gift of eternal life. Before I ask her that, I do have to ask this question. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to die for Jesus? 
Are you willing to follow him? Pastor Tom, nobody's suffering in this land for Jesus. Oh my, people are suffering all the time. When you repent, you suffer. When you stop sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend because God, it doesn't please God, you suffer because you miss it. When you stop looking at those pictures or drinking from that bottle or taking that joint, you suffer short term because the comfort you used to get, you you don't get anymore. That's called repentance. And God promises a greater pleasure. He promises something much better than just short-term fixes that the enemy uses to ensnare our lives and to shrink our lives. Jesus is knocking. Are you willing to give him your life? To turn from your sin and say, Jesus, come on in and do whatever you want to do in me. If that is you, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it. We're going to pray that prayer. I see that hand and that hand in the back. Thank you. God bless you. I see this hand over here. Thanks, bro. God bless you. And another hand behind right there. Yeah, I got you. Got, you can put that down. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to just pray that prayer in just a moment. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask those that raise their hand to just put your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Lord, today I repent of going my own way and doing my own thing. You have been knocking on my door. This morning, I opened that door right now by faith. Lord, come in. Be my Savior. Wash my sins away. And give me that faith, that grace that stands even in the fire. I ask in Jesus' name. I receive right now your gift of eternal life, something that you paid a huge price for that I get for free. I receive by faith the gift of eternal life in Jesus' name, amen. And could we stand to our feet? The second group I wanna pray for is you are in the fire right now. You prayed that you wouldn't be in the fire. You pray that your life would be easier than it is. But you are in circumstances you did not choose. It might be relational, it might be financial, it might be physical. And you are in the fire right now. And you want to stand firm in your faith. You want to stand against the roaring lion right now, would you open your arms like this? Just, I call this the receive position. Just, just open up your arms right now. We're going to pray for everybody that's in that situation. Jesus, nobody wants to be in the fire, but everybody wants to see you. (laughs) Paul called it the fellowship of your sufferings. That when people are suffering and trusting you, you show up in the fire. And you disarm every plan of the enemy to burn or to scorch or to even make a smell like smoke. You undo everything the devil would try to do by that fire of intimidation that he has burned up for us. 
And then, Jesus, you do something amazing. You, you set people free in the fire. You actually are so wise that you use the fire to free us from things that we were afraid of before. You reveal how good you are. You reveal that our faith that you have given us is real. And it's not just, everything doesn't have to be perfect in our lives for us to stay with God. That we're in. We're all in. And sometimes you know it, but we don't know it until we've gone through something like this. So Lord, I pray for those who, like me, it's, it's, it, it's, it's right up front and they are already disappointed that they're in the fire and, and frankly, self-pity is just speaking to them. And you're saying, you're getting in our face today with fire in your eyes and saying, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you're not going to stand, you're not going to make it. Well, Jesus, you, you help me make it. You helped me make, I just made a little choice and then you did a miracle. So Father, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters that has been disappointed that they would rise up to another level. Another level of faith where they trust your sovereignty. Do it, God, I pray. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We're going to have ministry teams up here and we're going to continue to worship. If you'd like more prayer, come on up. Otherwise, have a great day.